good morning. Good morning. I'm really glad you guys are here, and I'm kind of, I'm a little sad it's sprinkling outside, but maybe it'll cool things down. Uh, if you still are getting coffee, don't worry. I'm sure Peter will let you into heaven. Uh, I always thought it was funny that people use, P I know that's a Catholic background, and if anybody else has a Catholic background, this is not a joke on Catholics, but I always thought it was funny that they used Peter as the one at the gate. Do you know who Peter was? <laughs> like, he would be the last, I'd pick like J John, put John at the gate. I mean, J Peter's like, no one's getting in, John would be letting everybody in, but uh, anyway, I'm really glad you guys are here. I have been praying for you. Yesterday was a refreshing day for me and my family, and I was so grateful for it, and um, I want to begin with prayer, and probably, hopefully, if you watched the video, you know that we're going to be studying a little bit in James, so the three sessions today are going to be in the letter of James, very practical book. I already taught out of James, uh, sharing in chapter two on Monday, and so I'm going to share a little bit more out of James chapter one today, uh, but I'm going to begin with prayer, and then we can get started. You could turn your, to your Bibles already to James chapter one. That's where we're going to be, James chapter one, but I'll, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and I thank you for today, and I thank you for this week. I thank you for these campers um, and this camp that gives us a place to retreat and to enjoy one another and your creation and the lake, and I thank you so much for the staff uh, that work week in and week out to serve us and to care for us, and we know it's not easy for them. We know uh, it's not easy for Ambush and Hoedown and Tom and the rest of the team that has to uh, shift and make changes last minute, and uh, we just want to lift them up. Would you bless them and give them strength, give them extra endurance, uh, give them your kind of character and love uh, as they serve us, and that they would just know uh, you're with them. I pray that you would bless them with your presence, and with us right now as we open your word, would you open the eyes and ears of our hearts? Would you help us to receive your word? I pray that you would convict us and also encourage us, and I thank you for uh, your brother James, that you completely changed uh, by your life and death and resurrection, and I thank you for his testimony, and, and I pray that you would help us to learn from your spirit uh, what it is you've been teaching us uh, through your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I shared a little bit of my testimony uh, on Sunday and, and Monday, and um, that was kind of my older, my, my younger years. Uh, recently, I moved to Kansas three years ago, and I didn't know anything about Kansas. I'd never been in Kansas. Maybe I never flew over Kansas. I'm not really sure. Kansas just wasn't really on the map for me. And when we moved to Kansas, our life completely changed. My wife was pregnant with twins, we found out, after we moved to Kansas. And so that was a surprise for everyone. And it was, it was a tough couple years. It was some of the toughest years of my entire life. Uh, as horrible as my, test, my background was and my childhood was, uh, my first two years in Kansas was actually the most stressful. The biggest life responsibilities, the biggest changes, um, lots of things happened. And I got to a point to where I realized that I started gaining weight, and I was like, God, I am not going to make it. If I'm going to be sharp, if I'm going to be serving you, if I'm going to do what you've called me to do, I've got to get working because my entire job was done sitting down. Everything I did, reading, writing, uh, meetings, calls, visiting, everything was done pretty much sitting down. So I, 
I, uh, I moved to this Kansas place, and we're in the middle of nowhere in this rural place. And if you know anything about Kansas, it has a strong German Mennonite background, very strong Mennonite German from the Anabaptist, very pacifist type. You know, that's from the uh, early first half of the 20th century, but it has a lot of that background to it. And so um, I go to this church, just a wonderful church, big demographic of young families and older generations. We had grandparents and kids and grandkids in the same church, which just as a testimony of the kind of, uh, uh, kind of godly character that, that this church family has. I love my church home. Anyway, uh, so I did what any pastor would do. I took Taekwondo classes. I... <laughs> I signed up for Taekwondo, uh, and you're laughing, and I would have left had I known. But um, I, just, I, I took martial arts as a kid. I lived in Japan. I loved Dragon Ball Z. I wanted to be the karate kid, not the new one, but the Daniel LaRusso <laughs> Miyagi one. And, um, and, and that's what I want to be. So I took, uh, I took uh, uh, Ishinru, and I took uh, karate, traditional karate, and, and I, I decided I'm going to take Taekwondo because I, I wanted to get back fit, but I enjoy martial arts. I don't like hurting people. Uh, you know, people get the wrong idea about it. It's a self-discipline. But I wanted to take Taekwondo, and I wanted my sons to take Taekwondo with me because I'm also trying to be a good dad. I've got five kids. i gotta, I got to make time for them. So my two older boys, who are now nine and a half and seven and a half, this was two years ago, so, you know, seven and a half and five and a half, or really eight and six, they're, they're that age. I'm like, I w- do you guys want to do it with me? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to be a Ninja Turtle. They were so excited. They were like, I'm going to come with you. So we go, and we get there. And if any of you have kids, you, you have been at this moment. We get there, and five minutes into it, because we're training. You have to train. You know, it takes physical exercise. One of my sons decides, I didn't know this was going to take work. I didn't know I was going to have to listen to the instructor. And he just would not do anything. He wouldn't kick. He wouldn't do the rolls. He wouldn't do anything. And it was so hard. I was trying to be that dad that, you know, wasn't going to be on the news. So I'm like, okay, Russell, you know, we got to do it. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm like, okay, Russell, we are in Taekwondo. Maybe they'll think we're sparring. You know, maybe I'll just wrestle him down. And, you know, I was like, you've got to do what we're supposed to do. We went home that night, and I had a conversation with both of them. Uh, And I was like, listen, buddies. If you're going to do anything worthwhile in life, it's going to take hard work. It always takes strength training. Everything you do in life takes practice, takes exercise. You're going to have to give yourself to something. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And when it's really difficult, you're going to have to learn to, to, to see past the pain. The pain of like soreness and I don't want to do this and someone else telling them what to do. You're going to have to learn a mindset in which you look past the pain at the end goal of what you want to do. You're, you're going to have to learn this. And of course, you know, they're young and even I am learning this. And, uh, and there's been many conversations since then. But you, you have to learn how to deal with the difficult parts so that you can get where you want to go. And that's actually how James begins his letter in the New Testament. James is about 60 years old. He's a pastor over Jerusalem, and he writes to his people, which are kind of spread about uh, Israel. It's not the whole Roman Empire like some people think. It's, it's a closer demographic, but he writes to them because they are having to deal with pain. They're having to deal with really difficult issues, and so in James chapter 1, in verse 1, This is how James opens his letter. James, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Now, the first question you would ask when you get to James is, first, who is James? Well, we get introduced to him in the Gospels. I'm going to read in John chapter 7. In verses 1 through 5, I'm going to read through them quickly. I want you to know who James is. So after this, Jesus went about in Galilee, but he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. This is earlier, early-ish in Jesus' ministry. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. This was another feast. And so his brother said to him, Hey, and they're talking to Jesus. This is Jesus' brothers. You know, Jesus was the firstborn son, Joseph and Mary. Joseph wasn't his real dad, but, you know, he was a stepson. And then Mary and Joseph had other children, and so he had brothers and sisters, the, the Bible teaches us. But his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also may see the works you are doing. Now, Galilee is in the northeastern part. That's the northeastern part. Jerusalem is south. It's, it's further down. It's a... It's, 70, 90 miles down. And so Israel and Judea and Jerusalem, you know, Jerusalem was the headquarters. So they're like, why are you out here in Galilee, in this obscure place? Why don't you go down to Judea and show people who you really are? If you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, why don't you prove it? That's what they're saying. And this is what else they say in verse 4. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you, if you do these things, they're questioning him. Jesus' brothers did not believe in him all Jesus' life. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus' brothers, with Jesus growing up and them growing up, their older brother, they did not believe in him. To them, he was annoying. As a matter of fact, the reason why they were so upset with him wasn't just the traditional, oh, he's mom's favorite, you know, he's the firstborn. Uh, if you learn anything from the Gospels, this is what you find out. Is Joseph in anywhere in the story anymore? Joseph died. When the father of a family dies, who is the next of kin that has to take up for the business? The firstborn son, which is Jesus. Jesus was recognized as the firstborn son. What did Jesus do when he began his ministry? He left his family. He left the business. He did not do what everybody publicly, socially, was expected to do. He didn't take care of the business. He left to do his father's business. And so his brothers looked on him because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They didn't believe in what he was doing. And they looked at him as a traitor, as a prodigal son. By the way, when you read the prodigal son story, there's a connection that they would have thought of. He left the family. He did not take care of Mary in the way that they thought he should have. Now, we learn later he really does. And he tells John to take care of her at the cross. But he did not do what they expected him to do. So they had real issue with Jesus. They didn't believe in him. At a different point, his mother and his brothers go to get him. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, it says, Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. They wanted to arrest him. Jesus, why are you here? What are you doing? You're gathering this crowd. You're you're crazy, is what they thought. I'll show you. For they were saying he is out of his mind. You know what out of your mind means? You're nuts. You're crazy. You're delusional. Jesus' family thought at one point in his ministry that he was crazy. And so James, who's writing this letter, James is the brother of Jesus. We read about him 
James eventually became a Christian. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then Jesus appeared to, to James, then to all the apostles. Now, Jesus is so kind to his brother that hated him, so kind, that when he came back, the resurrected Jesus, it specifically mentions that he visited James, his brother, James the just, and he visits him because he loves him. He wanted to call him to be one of his elders over the church at Jerusalem. We see James again in Acts chapter 15. He's, he's head over the council of Jerusalem. All the Messianic Jews thought James, Jesus' brother, who wasn't even a believer until Jesus rose back from the dead, all of them looked at James as a pastor, as a head pastor, a lead pastor over the Messianic Jews in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the headquarters. This was the prime area. This was the center of the religious uh, activity for the Jews and the Messianic Jews. So James became a prominent figure. We see him, again, Luke writes about him in Acts, in Acts 1, 14. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. This is after Jesus ascended and the, and the church begins, and they were all gathered together, one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So James is there in the beginning, in the beginning of Acts, praying with the rest of them. He's with the apostles. He didn't believe in Jesus at first. His life, he, he was changed. Jesus changed him, transformed him with the resurrection. But James was not a believer at first. And so he begins his letter, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greeting. I don't want to waste all of our time on the 12 tribes of dispersion. These were Messianic Jews that were spread throughout the Roman Empire. A lot of them were experiencing huge difficulties. They were, now it's hard to imagine what this is like, but imagine that you can no longer stay in your hometown, that you have to move somewhere else. Because your Jewish community that all meet in the synagogue and they all love and know each other and they protect each other and they serve each other, you are an outcast because you're a Messianic Jew. You're a traitor. Jesus is not the Christ to the Jewish community. He is not the Messiah. And so they couldn't live as normal functioning Jews. They were not welcomed in their own town. And do you think the Gentiles loved the Jews? No. There was a division. There was a discrimination between these two people groups. And so these Messianic Jews dealt with discrimination by their own people and by strangers and by their neighbors. And so James, this wise, older pastor who has experienced a lot of doubt and discrimination in his own troubles, says, listen, I'm writing to you that are enduring some real serious issues right now. In this day and age, you are facing trials of I don't fit. I don't fit in a nation. I don't fit in my own people group. I, I feel out of body. I feel like, is this really, what are my kids going to do? How are my kids going to grow up? How can I raise them to believe what I believe? They're not even accepted in their own town. They can't go to school. They can't go to these places. They can't go to the marketplace. They can't do anything normal. That's what they're experiencing. And James writes them this letter. And he tells them, in the midst of their significant trials, he begins his letter with the most just it's amazing how he begins count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds I want you to think of everything happening right now and I want you to look at it with joy I want you to count it as a joy 
Don't look at all the problems surrounding you where you don't even know how the next generation is going to be raised and, and survive in this community. I, don't want, I want you to look at that and I want you to count it as a joy. Don't think negatively about it. Don't look at it and say, oh, the end is here. This is not, there's no hope. There's no light. I want you to look at it with joy in your heart, with the perspective of realizing that there is good that there is an overarching, there is a winning point. You know, in the third quarter, if you're losing, but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you end up winning the game, how upset are you going to be in the third quarter if you know for certain that you're going to win? And James is telling them, look, I want you to look at all these trials as a joy. Now, what is a trial? I love word studies. I'm a super big nerd. I am crazy nerd. I love looking at every single word in the original manuscript, not the original, but, you know, the, the Greek, the original languages. I love looking at each word and saying, God, what did you mean by this word? So the word trial, if you know what it is, it refers to a challenge or a test. And the purpose of a test is to reveal the true character or nature of something. This is not like a test of like, oh, this is just beating something down. This is to reveal something. Think of it like uh, an x-ray. A trial reveals what's there. My, my son has broken his arm. Another son broken his leg. And, and I, I don't know. I, maybe we're bad parents. But they, they break stuff. And so he broke his arm. And my wife's a nurse. She, is, uh, she doesn't want to be the spotlight of attention. But uh, pretend she's not here. She is so smart. She, like, makes all A's. She loves the people she serves. She's a registered nurse. She used to work in a trauma one, a level one trauma unit, a hospital for three states that they all carry them there. And, and she loves serving people, and she's real bright. And, and anyway, she, well, she's a nurse. So when he broke his arm, I like, here's our son. You know, like, is he okay? Is he going to make it? Are we, you know, what's going on? And uh, she looked, and it might be broken, but there is no way for her to know if it's broken or not. Now, unless the bone is protruding out of the skin, you don't know if it's broken. What do you have to get? An x-ray. Because an x-ray looks underneath the surface. An x-ray sees something that you can't see on your own. You've got to be able to test it. You can guess it's broken. It's probably broken. But an x-ray is what really reveals. A test, the kind, a test in this language is meant to be like an x-ray. They didn't have x-rays back then, I know. But that's what it means. It reveals what's underneath the surface. It reveals what's there. And James is saying, listen, when you face these difficulties, I want you to think of it as joy because God is using it to reveal what's really underneath, what your faith is really like, what's really, on, what's really going on inside. Let me ask you a question. Think of the most recent trial. I mean, I mean a real trial, a real test that you've had. It's made you shaky. Think of a recent trial. What did it reveal about you? What did it reveal about your faith, about how much you really trust God? What did it reveal about your love for God? Do you really love Him? Do you really care about Him? What did it reveal about how much your life you want to align with what the Holy Spirit is directing you? What did it reveal when you were tested? You know, when you get tested, your buttons are pushed. It was so funny, we were in the ministry center, and the kids go in there, uh, someone's kids and we walk in there together and someone's kid starts pressing all the buttons I'm like Don't you, pr you can't press that this is my kids anyway my kids are pressing all the buttons and I thought of the elevator I'm like you know what I feel like this elevator I feel like kids are pushing my buttons all day long 
all day, and I'm having to carry them up and down and up and down. And I was like, I'm an elevator. That's what I am. That's my new, that's, so I was like, oh, what animal are you? Elevator. That's what animal I am. That's, that's what I feel like right now. Um, when something pushes your buttons, it reveals what's really going on inside. And James is saying, this trial, think of it as a joy. And trials come in all sorts and all kinds. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. of very, Now, brothers doesn't just mean guys. He's talking about these Christian brothers and sisters, this family. They're considered a family. James looked at them as family. To me, I see each one of you as brothers and sisters. You are all brothers and sisters. I've been praying for you. I care about you because the Bible has revealed that to my heart and mind. God has put his love inside my heart for people. That's his job. I don't make that up. I can't do that. And when God does that, when you look at people and you think, God, this is like my brother and my sister whom I love, and that's the way he's talking to them. And so it's not just guys. It's men and women and children. Think of it as joy. And they come in all various kinds. So this is like uh, multicolored. So this original language word, various kinds, is speaking of multicolor. Think of going into a garden and it's like you have lavender and periwinkle and chartreuse and, and for you guys, let me translate, it's like purple and like greenish blue and you know, just the, ran, you know, just the color, just the original colors, okay? It's just like the, all these colors. What he's saying is you are going to face trials of different kinds and he doesn't just mean you're going to face them and like your trial is going to be someone who's dying and your trial is going to be a sickness and your trial. He's not just meaning that. He's meaning it's every spectrum of the colors. He's trying to say it's different for all of us. Do you know that your trials are unique? For instance, if your parent dies and your neighbor's parent dies, it doesn't mean you look at it the same way. Why? Now, this is what's so interesting. I try to counsel people on this. Why is it different? Is it because, oh, my situation is different? Not exactly. Your situation could be very similar. You know why it's different? It's because you're different. When you go through your parent dying, it reveals what's going on. But what's going on with you is not the same thing that's going on with your neighbor. So when you face trials, even if it's, quote, the same trial, it's going to feel different because what's inside of you is different. And what God is doing with that trial is different. That's why we don't compare our grief we don't compare our trials. We don't try to one-up one another. We don't, uh, I never tell someone, I know exactly what you're going through, because I don't. I can imagine it's similar. I can resonate with you. I can, man, that sounds so difficult. I can just, man, I just, let me pray for you. I can do all that, but I don't know exactly what you're going through. Even if I, quote, have lost a child or lost a parent or lost, I still don't know. Because whatever that trial revealed inside you is unique to you. That's why it's so different. And so James is saying, listen, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. This is going to be so unique and different. It's going to hit you different. It's going to reveal different. It's going to be different for each of you. So trials reveal what's there. But not only that, trials strengthen what's left. I love this. In verse 3, trials strengthen what's left. It reveals what's there, and it strengthens what's next, because some of what's there needs to go once you face a trial. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials do something. They not only x-ray what's there, but they produce something. They strengthen what's left. It's like strength training. I mentioned this last time. Uh, when you work out, uh, and this blew my mind the first time I heard it, when you work out, you know what you do to your muscles? I, I know I don't look like I would know. I, I've read it in a book, okay? Get off my back. When you work out, 
it tears your muscles. It tears them. When I first heard that, I thought, what? Why would God do that? It tears your muscles? Is that part of the fall? No. When you tear your muscle, you know what your muscle starts? It starts this process. When you tear it, when you strain it to the last moment, and it's like, and it, which it probably looks like that when I work out. But when it tears, what it's doing is it's sending signals to your brain, hey, we got to rebuild this thing. And it rebuilds stronger than before. That's how your muscle, that's how some people's muscles grow. That's how your muscles grow. You have to tear it first. Now, when you're working out and you max out and you're just, you've given it your all, right? What do you feel? You feel tired. You feel worn out. Do you realize that you are going to be stronger than you were before? In the middle of it, it's painful and strange. If you've ever done leg day, leg day is the worst day. You, you're like doing your legs and you like, you walk. It was so funny. I did, I, I, did, I did Taekwondo one night and it was like one of the first nights and I was like really sore and Taekwondo uses your legs mostly. And I remember the next day I was like walking like this. <laughs> and Courtney's like, if you got to poop, go poop. If you got to poop, go poop. I'm like, no, no. I don't have to go to the bathroom. I'm sore. I've, there's muscles I probably never had that I used, and now they're like, we're done. And so I have to walk with other muscles. I can't walk normal. I'm glad you love that. Anyway, it's just, so as you're laughing at me, realize when, you, when trials come, they don't just reveal what's there. They strengthen what's left. It takes a minute. You feel bad at first. It, it, dis, it shifts your life. You can't move the same. You can't walk the same. It's like a broken bone. When my son broke his bone, it was so funny. My son broke his bone. Uh, now, now that bar, that wasn't funny. No, I'm not cruel. You guys are messed up, okay? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thinking that was funny. Anyway, my, my son broke his arm. Uh, I, I had already heard this before, but it was like a revelation again. And they're like, yeah, when he breaks his arm, I was like, oh, man, you know, what's going to happen in the future? It's like, oh, when your bone breaks, it comes back stronger. Your bone's stronger. So like me, you know, I'm real smart, right? My IQ's at least 70. I was like, hey, I was like, why don't we just break all our bones and we'll just have stronger bones? And they're like, okay, Wolverine, that's not how it works. Like, you're not going to, some people got that. Anyway, that's not how, that's not God's intention. But when you do break a bone, God created your body. He designed it so that it will be stronger in that place. Because however you broke it, your body is imagining, hey, we might break it here again because uh, this guy doesn't change his life and he does the same things no matter what. So we need to use that to strengthen it. So your bone is actually stronger. Count it all joy, my brothers or sisters, when you face trials of all different kinds, various kinds, because the testing of your faith is going to produce steadfastness. It's going to produce endurance. It's going to be stronger than before. It's going to strengthen what's left. And this is where trials become opportunities. Romans 5.3, not only that, Paul writes, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We're joyful. We got to sing. We got we to change our mind and our heart. We have to do the work sometimes before we feel it. We got to rejoice at our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Same idea, endurance, steadfastness. It produced something. You're going to be stronger. Your faith is going to be tested, and I'm telling you what you want in your life is to have a, it has a faith that will not give up. Well, God wants to produce that in you. He wants to show you how true it is for you to trust in him, even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He wants to show you that you can trust him, really trust him. And so it creates this endurance, this perseverance. The word, that word endurance, steadfastness, means the capacity to hold out or bear up under, 
uh, as you face difficulty. Under extreme weight, you're able to hold up. You're not going to give in. You're going to be pressed but not crushed, that kind of idea. You're going to persevere. You're going to be able to persevere because your faith was tested. It grew. And so, in other words, if you think of the word steadfastness and uh, endurance, I like to think of the word stick to what's right, or the phrase stick to what's right. That's not one word. Stick to what's right. If you want to train, if you want to make disciples, some of you ladies, if you want to raise younger ladies to know what it's like to follow God, tell them the truth. Say, sometimes you're going to doubt them, and you're going to feel down, and you're going to be like, God, where are you? And you're going to have crazy thoughts. You're going to have crazy feelings. You're going to feel bad. Listen, when you're tested, what God wants to do is that if you do not give up, you're going to know, not just in your brain, but in your heart, that he's going to come through. That whatever, that hit the purposes of the Lord will stand, according to Scripture. That, that the end is written. He knows. And you've got to trust him. And, and, and this is how you do it. You've got to persevere. Don't, don't turn to the left. Stick to what's right, even when it's hard. So it strengthens what's left. Um, another example that I like to think of, uh, which uh, I'll get to verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That idea for perfect and complete, this language that James is using is, you guys want to fully mature. You want to grow in Christ. Don't be like children. Don't be like babies in the sense, not like children. Children are dependent, which is good. When Jesus in, in Matthew 18 and Mark 5, I think it's Mark 5, maybe it's not Mark 5, but he mentions uh, be like these children. And some people use the term childlike faith. Now, the word childlike faith is never used in the New Testament. But we describe it like be like a child, talking about perseverance. See how they're just totally dependent and they trust? You know, if your kids have ever come up to you, they're just like, actually, my kids do this. They're like, I want to grab you. And I'm like, no, let's say it right. You want me to pick you up and hold you. But they say, I want to grab you. I want to grab you. I want to grab you. Okay, whatever. And I pick them up. They completely trust me. To them, it's like when they're in my arms, they know I have them right? I haven't dropped them, thank God, but I haven't dropped them. They, they trust me. They know that I am their dad, and I love them, and I have not been in such a way that they don't know that they can't trust me. So to them, they're like a child. They're like, whatever you say, like, I, would you hold me up? So, so even though we want to be childlike in the sense of our dependence, our trust, our love, you know, a child just loves their mom and dad. There's not all that craziness going on. There's not all those doubts and worries. A child like that, but at the same time, don't be stuck on milk, but move to the meat. You've got to grow. He wants you to grow in your, your faith, grow in your maturity, know who Christ is. And so he wants you to grow. Now, in order to do this, I like to think of a, of a plant. Uh, Courtney and I have been gardening in, in our home. We have on the sides of our homes and in the front and in the back. I guess, wow, we have all over our house now. Uh, we've gotten into it. Anyway, we've, we've planted things like strawberries and raspberries and squash and different kinds of squash and um, other tomatoes. And tomatoes were the funnest the first year. We had all these tomatoes. We didn't know what to do with it. So we're learning how to garden. But did you know that a plant needs fertilizer if it's going to be rich soil, like it needs fertilizer? Do you know what fertilizer is? Poop, right? Yeah, some of us are too respectful to say the word poop. I will say it so you guys don't have to say it. It's poop. It's, it's, it's doo-doo. That, that's what fertilizer is. And you have to put fertilizer around a plant. Now, let me ask you this question. Does fertilizer smell good? No, not even close. It stinks. But if you want your plant to thrive, if you want it to produce fruit, if you want it to be healthy, the soil has to be healthy. For the soil to be healthy, it needs fertilizer. 
It needs that nitrogen and that other stuff that smells horrible, but it needs that. It needs that stuff. Now listen, when your life is stinking because of a trial, and you feel like, and, and, and we don't use this, the C-R-A-P word in our home. We, we try to train our kids, don't use these words that way when they're adults and they use them, they know how to. I don't want you to use it yet because you, I want you to train yourself by not using it. When you're older, you'll know how to. And so some things work out like that. And so we don't use this word, but I've been in counseling sessions where someone comes in there and they try not to use curse words like the S word. And they'll be like, my life is just crap. My life is just crap. It's Everything around me is just horrible. I don't know what to do. I can't look up. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just crap. Now, I don't tell them in that moment this verse and what I'm thinking, what I know of trials and how they produce steadfastness. I don't say that because that's discouraging. I, you know, you have to carry someone through the process through pain. They're not, they're not ready for that. It doesn't help them. But I know as I pray for them, this crap, God is using this to produce fruit lots of fruit in you and it stinks and it's smelly and it's junk but sometimes you have to you you have to endure the poop to get the fruit you you have to be god has got to add the poop for you to get the fruit you have to have that fertilizer and that's the picture of a trial a trial is like fertilizer it stinks it's smelly it's horrible it's messy it's nasty no one wants to touch it you don't want it around you but If you let it sink into the soil and you give it time, eventually healthy fruit is going to grow from it. That's how a plant thrives, and that's how you mature. That's how you become complete and perfect. So when God sends a trial and allows trials in your life, and you look at it like, God, you're just spreading fertilizer all over my face, know that God's intention is, I'm going to use this. I love you. And if you would consider it a joy because what I'm going to do with it, if you would look at it, not negatively, but with joy, you, you will be able to endure. And this is how, this is why you look at it a joy. This is what is, this is how I'm making you into the person that you really want to be, even if you don't know it. This is how I'm doing for you what you don't even know I want to do for you. And it all comes down to faith. Are you trusting God in the midst of the trial? Because if you are, you're going to look at it and count it as a joy. God, you're doing this, and because of you, because of my hope in you, I'm able to look at this with joy in my heart because I know you're going to use this, and you love me, and I trust you. So let's pray. I'm going to give you guys a five-minute break. You can get more coffee, and then we're going to come back, and we'll, we'll end our second session by 12. Father, we love you, and uh, we're so grateful to you that you would use trials to strengthen us. And we know there's none of us are so good that we don't need trial, that we don't need fertilizer. We know that you want to strengthen what's, what's there and you want to help reveal what's there. And so would you help us mature and to look at these trials and consider them a joy? Because they're really from your hand. And we know you're the one that's growing us And you're the one that's maturing us into the person that we were created and destined to be. And so we thank you. Thank you for the trials that that we don't understand because of our faith in you, the one we know and love. We trust you even in the midst of darkness. And we pray that you would help us to teach the next generations to trust you in the midst of trials. Show us how to pass on the joy because of your word, because of what you've shown us. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.